We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. At the moment, we're talking to building environment professionals about gender equity and how women experience the architecture and construction space as our cultural awareness shifts beyond the elementary family model. Our guest in this episode is Brian Cloacy from BVN Architects in New South Wales. Brian is a registered architect and head of people and character at BVN Architects, leading the development of the practice's vision, strategy and structure for all things people related. Brian shares how BVN approached the issues of gender equity within their practice, how leaders and staff should talk about their capabilities, competencies and skills, and how mental health can be affected by career progression. I'll now hand over to Sally Sue, who is an Imagine representative based in New South Wales. Let's jump in. Great to have you here today, Brian. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Sally. Glad to be here. <laughs> Great. Um, let me introduce Brian, our guest on our podcast today. Um, most of us know Brian from his work at BVN, and he's certainly uh, been a unique uh, person to have on our show because Trained as an architect, definitely a great project leader, worked at BVN and is a Sydney studio director. In the recent time, we've come to know you as the head of people and character. And I think that's a really good compliment on how we see a diverse range of careers developed from architecture. I think I'm just laying it out right now because I think we're going to start to explore that idea. And I think uh, we'll lead into some of your career to date milestones and project work as well as how you've led BVN to win the best in practice prize for the AI New South Wales Awards in 2019 and I think it's a great breath of work and it is um, definitely great to have you on the show today. Great thanks Sally Um, look it's as I say I'm here to represent BVN but it's the power of the collective that I'll be talking to and the, and it's the work that Everybody does because it, it takes everybody participating in a culture to make a place special. And that's, and that's a lot of what you'll hear today is the work of everybody come together and be passionate about making it a place just beyond projects that hopefully people think is interesting and they want to know more about. That's great because I think today's topic is very broad. We do start off with uh, understanding a gender pay gap, but I think there's a lot of associated topics that are very interesting for us to discover because it is such a large topic, but we can certainly break it down to really give it a framework. So I think as a start, this gender pay gap topic is definitely one that will many of us talk about, um, come to realise how important it is to talk about it. And I think before we even dive into such a big topic, I think we've had discussions and more often than not, we really need to give it a framework. And I think as we swing that around, from your point of view, when you hear of such topics being debated in our industry, in the broader professional cohort, how do you begin to provide some solid framework to then allow us to approach it in a very meaningful way? Good question, Sally. I think it's a bit like when we started our journey in Champions of Change. The first step is admitting there is a problem. 
you got to accept the problem. If you got before you can solve it, you have to go. There is a problem, and we do as an industry have a gender pay gap that is undeniable. And the re- main reason for it is that the imbalance in the composition of leadership of practice is what drives it. So if you have 50 people in a practice or 20 people in a practice, if the majority of the top earners in that practice are males, irrespective of how even and equitable all our salaries are at like-for-like roles, you have a gender pay gap. That's the basis of the issue. So I think when you see a headline, you go gender pay gap 23% and people get outraged and they think then that every individual is out by 23%. It's not necessarily the case. Each practice has to do their own work on what life for life looks like. But because we've been dealing with the, the composition of leadership issue, it's there. So I think the first thing is let's acknowledge it and just go, okay, well, what is it? And start to break it down. And I think as designers, Sally, we're we're born problem solvers, but we have to have a brief. So what is the problem we're trying to solve and then go and tackle it? So I think the first thing is let's look at the composition of the leadership of the practices. And I think then when you get to the leadership, are they all paid equally? And I think a great step would be Vienna has always had is all principles are equal and they're all paid the same, irrespective of what the role is in there. So at least then what we're saying is in a like-for-like role, we know that that's right. But the makeup of that group doesn't have the gender balance. Excellent, because I think that's a very good starting point for us to begin this discussion because I think giving it a framework has an ability to allow us to then tackle that problem as you describe and also then honing in on key areas for us to begin to make a change because I think through all the work we've done to date and as I've seen yourself participating in Champions of Change, associating yourself with um, the right kind of um, team to come and tackle these problems. And these problems might be, or issues anyway, in this modern day profession where we talk about mental health, well-being, diversity and inclusions, and even learning and development to allow you to then retain talent. And I think all of these topics are all integral to this, this topic, the broader topic of gender pay gap today, because I think it makes a difference in how we then approach it step by step because our profession is made up of professionals of different background and different careers and different lifestyle setup. And I think you've once talked about that environment that we create. And I think bringing it closer to home to BVN, can you share with us some of these structural setups and infrastructure that you have seen change through the years that allow for this to progress in a very positive manner? Yes, so Sally, I think when we look at the composition of the leadership of our practice. Um, We have women at all levels and we have a female co-CEO, which is great. We have female principals and we have women in all the various categories and levels within the practice. But what we found, and I think it's, it was fairly consistent across all the practices when we joined Champions of Change is we all struggled to retain women from around their mid-30s. And it was quite common across all. Oh, it wasn't a BVN issue. It was, yes, it was a BVN issue, but it was all the other participating practices as well. So we went, this is an industry problem where we seem to lose talented women at around. And some people might say it's an alignment to when they start to have families, maybe. But it's for whatever reason, we just weren't creating an environment for sustainable careers for women. And I think that was something we we had to look at. So 
I'm not going to sit here and preach that we've got this solved. We're very much on a journey like everybody else, but we're trying different things and trying to do it. So we look at data. Data helps, like acknowledge the data. So we look at the uh, regularly um, and we review it with the board and with the principals, the gender makeup of the different leadership groups and titles within BBN. So we're continually looking at that. And the other thing with that is it's a work in progress, Sally, because we're all striving for the 40-20-40. So it's 40% female, uh, 40% male, and 20% in the middle, and that can be non-binary or it can be either one. So it's not, we're not going for exactly 50-50, but in trying to work through that, and it takes time because you can't just suddenly go and pull people into titles uh, just to get the numbers right. But in doing it, it's a very dynamic thing. So because as you move people up into the next level of their career, you got to have the opportunity for others to be stepping up into the next level of the, in their career so that they're starting to come along behind that as you look at it. And the thing is, careers aren't linear anymore, I don't think, Sally. It's not as straightforward as it was. People need the ability to sidestep, go sideways for a while, check things out, maybe take a career break. So what we need to continually do is keep looking at what is the opportunity for that person, individual, to take the next step. And it's not based on a preconceived idea of this is what I think an architect should be doing. It's what do they want to be doing? And it depends on the scale of work they're doing, what interests them, if they're into regenerative practice, where they want to be. So I think a big part of it is just starting to get better at listening and to create a forum for conversations where people can say, here's what I'm interested in right now. And acknowledge that you could have an epiphany over the weekend, you could go on a break, you could travel Europe, who knows? But you could come in on Monday morning and go, I thought I wanted this over here, but I don't want that anymore. And that's all right. Let's adapt. Let's go, okay, well, let's look at your skills. Where do you want to go and how do we support you to go there? So I think there's lots of things that we did. So we introduced flexible working, which starts to support people. And then again, if you do good policy making, Sally, I think it positively impacts everybody, not just women, but men in the practice too. So look at flex. We looked at how people take parental leave, start encouraging secondary um, carers into doing more of a role so they can support primary carers to go back into their work and, and get back into practice because we look at what is the impact of career breaks to women and what is the pressure puts on. And the interesting thing, when you chat to them, so another part of it is listen and learn. We do listening and learning sessions every couple of years. Let's understand what the challenges are for the people in the practice. And one of them was that they feel that when they're coming back from parental leave, that their careers stagnate a little bit because sometimes they're only working part time. So how do we create fulfilling work opportunities for people when they're coming back part time or easing back into life or a different rhythm? And it might be that they always want to be four days a week, that that's just the balance they want. But we need to make sure that you can still lead and you can still progress in your career based on your circumstance. So I think it's all about not being rigid and being more open to it and just working through how we create an environment for everybody to fulfill their potential. And I'll close my point on this is not everybody wants to be an owner of a practice. That's not what everybody wants. When you listen to them, they don't all want that. And that's all right. So it's like, let's understand where you want to fulfill your potential and what is success to you and support you in it. So if you want to be a facade expert or you want to be someone who's more interested in workplace or you want to be the great generalist, we'll help support you to be successful in that realm. And I think 
it probably leads on to a topic we were going to touch on anyway, but we have to move away from the designer as the most important person in, the, in, in what we do. We are makers of buildings and spaces. And yes, design is important. Of course it is. But you need many, many talents and skills to deliver on that. So if you have somebody who initiates concepts and designs, who's there to conserve that? Who's there to document? Who's there to work up the detail that respects that design? Who's the one on site negotiating, debating, fighting to get it delivered and meet it? And I think the beauty of our idea of collective creativity is it takes a collective to deliver it. And it takes a collective of designers, and um, professionals, but it also takes all these wonderful people who partner with the design teams, like who creates IT infrastructure so you can do your best work, who creates this, a physical environment where you're comfortable and you're able to do your stuff. So lots of people participate, and I think what we need to do is recognize the diverse talents and contributions that lead to the resultant buildings that we see and in magazines. And I think part of the shame is that sometimes the attribution is quite limited to a core group, which no doubt I've been part of it. Yes, core group do massive hours to deliver a building, but there are lots of others who enable us to do that. That's amazing to hear you describe all of that because I think, like you said, it's absolutely all integral that everything you mentioned today just then about having better conversations, learning that language to then uh, speak with your colleagues, to allow a cultural awareness on how to promote women and talent specifically as well. All of that is a great shift that allows us to move forward and it's not specific on just the pay or the differences between the genders. And I think that's very important to reiterate because I think as you broaden up these topics, what you touched on as a key facet of why there you know, is a gap and maybe we are able to focus on it to reduce it is mainly on career planning. And I think you, you touched on that where career planning can be approached in many different ways. And we're seeing a shift and I think it started off with me mentioning about an award dedicated to acknowledging best in practice. And I think that's one step forward to understanding our professional environment is made up of those that support our best work, those that help provide the infrastructure for us to do the best design, those that help support us to make the best business decision that allows us to have the best building as well. And I think with that, that opens up so many more opportunities for professionals of different levels and different life stages. And I think that's very good to hear you talk about it. And as we shift it along then, is it only for large-scale practices to implement? And I think many of the times we would um, review this and you, you get architects from different backgrounds, offices of different scale. If you were to broaden it, do you think it can be translated? How would you interpret that for different types of offices and different types of studios? Yeah, I think it's a great question, that the idea of making it scalable. And if, if, if we come down the crux, what I think, and again to say, we don't have this solved. So as part of some work with Champions of Change, we're looking at this now is how do we create a framework where we help a, the leaders of the practice, and B, the individuals themselves, to talk about their capabilities, 
and their competencies and skills. And we have a dreadful habit historically in our industry of labeling people with one-liners like they're a great documenter or they're a great designer or they're this and so on. It's that singular attribute to someone, it, like we're much more complex than that. We all bring much more to that situation. And in any creative and collaborative environment, you need the ability to work positively and create positive team environments. Irrespective of if you're working in a very small scale practice, you will always be dealing with engineers and builders and project managers, and you'll be having to positively influence people in in that realm. So what we're looking to do is look at a skills or a capability or a competency matrix that says, here are an array of skills and competencies that you would need in our industry. Now, it might not be specialized or it might be quite generalist because I often get asked by especially people early in their careers, well, what is expected of me? What, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to progress? And we're quite poor at articulating that, Sally. And what we need, if, if we all came up with a universal matrix that says, here's a series of seven or eight categories of things that are important to people in the industry, we can all amend it and the language of it and tweak it based on our own culture. So if I'm a practice of one or two, it'd be good if I had this metric and if I'm a practice of several hundred, it can be used in each individual conversation to help the framework. So by giving it to someone, they can then self-assess and become more aware of where their skills and strengths are and where the opportunities are for growth. And then you certainly give a framework for leaders to be able to articulate and give feedback to people in a helpful way. Because often the challenge with feedback, as we're all progressing and learning, is people are afraid to do it because it's so hard and they don't know what to say. And you get the general, oh, you're doing, you just keep doing what you're doing, you're doing great, or you're fabulous. And you think that's great, but none of us learn from that. We learn from being told, where is the shortcomings? Where do I need to learn? And back to the idea of having conversations that adapt and are cognizant of where people want to go, the skills you need are directly related to where you want to go. So if you want to lead big projects, okay, here are some skills you're going to need to be able to do it. If you want to be a facade specialist or I don't know if you want to be on site, you love delivering buildings on site. So what are the skills you need to do it? And a key aspect is there is a whole array of technical skills, Sally, that we all learned and we develop as we're on the tools. But there's a lot of human skills and what's commonly referred to as soft skills about how you navigate the complexity of these situations. How do you compromise? How do you negotiate? How do you, how do you create a positive environment where people will flourish and step up and want to take the next step? And I think for leaders in architecture, I think it's so challenging because it's so complex. They've got deliverables for builders that are smashing the desk and going, where's this drawing set? When is this getting out the door? You have a team who are all humans designers, architects, interior designers, technicians, who are all people who've got career aspirations. They want to be growing too. Yeah, they want to help deliver it. Everyone's passionate to deliver a great outcome, but they should be growing in that. So now you're asking a leader to manage their career through all this, give them timely feedback, nurture them, make sure they're in a good headspace, make sure they're well themselves, their oxygen mask first before they look after others. So, wow. That's quite an array of skills to be able to say, if you want to be a positive project leader, here's all this stuff. And most likely you didn't get any skills on a whole range of them. So if we come back in short, I think no matter what scale practice you have, if we all have a framework to be able to help people articulate 
the skills they need to take the next steps in their career or recognize the strengths they have to keep building on it, I think we'll just have more fruitful conversations. And if we come back to salary, that will help us have more tangible salary discussions. Because I think, imagine how much more comfortable people would be bringing up money if they can tie it to the skills that they have. Well, here's where I'm at. Or I want X amount of money. So let's say you walk in and you're currently on 65 and you say, I really want to be on $80,000. Rather than say, you're not ready, you're going to have to go away, just keep working, keep your head down, we'll tell you when you're ready. Imagine being able to say to them, and we've tried this a few times, and I think people really responded positively. You'd say, to be earning $80,000, here are the sort of things you need to be doing. Let's assess that up against what you're doing, assess where the gap is, and then say, how do we support you or give you the opportunities to be able to take those steps to go there? Now, all of a sudden, the person, rather than being knocked back, they're being guided and told, well, here's what you need to do. Here are the goalposts, very firmly there, and they can work through it. And when they've done it, then you got to pay them where they're up to. So I think it's the money in like for like, and that's why like for like is quite hard, I think, for people, is you could have two grads a year out each who are not the same because they've just taken different trajectories. And it's not there's a good or a bad thing. We all learn and move at our own pace. It could have been the phase of project you're on. You could have gone into small practice and learned heaps. Who knows where? You could have ended up getting on site earlier than others. Don't fret about the pace at which you move. Get comfortable at understanding the skills you want and where your skill gaps are and just work through it. Take your time and, and build it. And it's, it's not a race. It's about knowing where you want to go and being clear on what you need to do to get there. Amazing, because I think um, I see a duality happening in, in the feedback and the commentary that you're providing. And I think it's almost great advice as well, because you touched on stepping up for leaders and for leaders to be able to embrace promoting talent across different sectors and roles within an organization. It's definitely scalable as well, because the values is consistent across the board, depending on the size of your organization. And I think it was important to acknowledge that you also touched on how that leadership can come from the individual, because you touched on the self-assessment and reviewing that career kind of progression through not just project work, but also growth in other aspects to begin to articulate the value you bring to an organization and the contribution. And I think sometimes that's not necessarily evident or forefront because we're primed in our education to become designers and that you know we're primed in our education to focus on design and seeing that as a top priority but like you describe and reiterated our profession is built up of professionals of various skill set and without that we wouldn't have such a rich culture within our design profession in architecture and I think you even touched on review process to help promote these diverse skills. And I think if we were to bring it back and wind it back on the fair and equal starting point that sometimes we talk about, you've touched on previously in our other conversations on why it's important to have a very strong and firm review process in place, which you've started to introduce, as well as recruitment process to also then allow for talent to come in in the right manner and that integrates with culture and it integrates with how one demonstrates their value when they approach an organization like where you work at and how to begin to help elevate women at times that might not be naturally geared towards focusing on these key areas. Could you elaborate and extend that conversation? Yeah, so I think when you are bringing people into your practice and again, unfortunately, all of us have bias. 
like every single individual in the world has bias. So it's not something to be ashamed and go, oh I don't, I don't. It's not, don't be defensive about it. Just acknowledge that we all have biases. So the thing is to recognize them and say, how do I mitigate circumstance where my bias might play a role in how I'm interviewing somebody? So the easy and comfortable thing is to project your values and the things and the skills you value on the people who you're interviewing go, well, if they're like this, then they're a great fit for your organization. So I like them. What do you think the person? I really like them. I think they're blah, blah, blah. And it's going, okay, well, that's a bit dangerous. So what we decided to do when we reviewed it and kind of did a bit of research and how we can remove any bias and try to create a very fair platform is you need to give every individual who applies for a role the equal opportunity to demonstrate their skills and capabilities. That's what you're trying to do. So what we did is we have two interviews. We have a technical interview. So we do it with technical people within the practice who they'd be working with. And we have a set set of questions. So they can't go off on their own thing. They can't just ask them about the things they're interested in. They must follow the same questions. Now, it doesn't mean that the conversations are completely rigid, but what it does is it creates consistency in giving everybody the ability to talk about those capabilities. And then we have what we call a behavioral one or a humanistic one, which let's look at the characteristics that will enable them and that they often bring because we get too obsessed too, Sally, with the technical ability of everybody. But what about the other facets and skills they have about their ability to work with others, to communicate well, to lead? So in doing that and asking the questions, I think you encourage others to articulate it. So they might not have thought about it, but you can ask questions in the same way that will start to elicit the kind of responses that you need to be able for you to assess it. And then we moved away from that people need to be a fit for BBN and we came up with this idea that I came across in an unconscious bias training course was cultural ad. What is the cultural ad of this individual? Because all our cultures are evolving. They evolve on the context of what's happening in the world around us. So I think the other beauty of that is that you can see and recognize where their strengths and skills are. So what we're trying to do with having better conversations and more regular conversations about your career and your strengths is hopefully give everybody a platform to be able to, with confidence, articulate where they think their skills are with feedback from others. So my self-awareness will only get me so far unless you're very attuned and you've done it a lot over your career. You'll be a bit out early on. You'll probably think you're a bit more advanced than you are or maybe you undersell yourself a bit and calibration will help you just realize, well, here's the observations of those around you. And I think that also helps in money because uh, when you're going to talk about money, it is related to the capabilities and skills and the impact that those have in what you do. So get a consistent framework, help people talk about it, have questions that can tease out how you do that. So if somebody said, no, I am a really good designer or I am a really good X, Y, or Z, you could say, well, how about you articulate a few instances that demonstrate that for me based on this? And then that helps other people understand it. So I think as we have conversations, we have to continually upskill ourselves and how to get to the bottom of it, understand and help people articulate where the skills are and help them understand and calibrate where it actually is compared to perceptions. That's excellent because I think that really then touches on all facets of our uh, general uh, work life because 
it is definitely an issue where we, we don't start off equal at times. And even if we did pay them the same, as you described, we're career progressing at times. We have a few barriers along the way. That's not intentionally set up, but it's due to just, you know, like a natural behavior of underselling yourself. And that could be a difference between gender or personality or even cultural background, dare I say. And I think it's so important to create that inclusive environment, like you described, that allows for that cultural awareness to rebalance out and recalibrate that because I think more often than not, we like to be attracted to things that we find familiar with. And I think with that, you begin to see disparities between that. And I think, like you described, you've, uh, where you work, you, you make a conscious decision to foster a much more healthy environment that helps allow others to shine when they're not necessarily an overt character and I think that's so important. With that might be broadening the topic a little but I think mental well-being is such a critical topic that is at times portioned off separately and not necessarily directly involved in what we're talking about. Do you see a relationship in those two topics that is much more critical than um, gender gaps between um, pay because I think more and more it's so important to acknowledge that our environment is actually quite a harsh one and then at times for women it might be seen as an extra load depending on their life commitments at times but it's so important for us to tackle all of these peripheral topics to help avoid any further barriers that can prevent us from leveling out differences. Yeah look I think there can be an underlying anxiety that comes into your career if you don't feel like you're progressing at the rate you can, especially early on in your career. I remember as a grad, like someone's registered or they've got side experience, they've got this and how do I get that? And it's it's quite competitive as you think about, I need to be moving where you're at. So if you don't feel like you're progressing, there's an anxiety that comes which doesn't help from a mental well-being perspective. I also think that People's confidence can take a knock if you can have a poor experience or you get caught. Like when we sit there and say, oh, if I think about the mistakes I made when you're on site, they're your experiences. You, When you make a mistake on site, you will never forget that. You will say, I will never make that mistake again. But unless you have a positive mentor or leader around you to help you navigate that in a way that... It's great. It's great to acknowledge where we've made mistakes, but learn from it. Like, what's the learning from this and how do I avoid it? And working out loud then where you share that. So we don't all have to keep making the same mistakes to learn it individually. We can share that with each other. I think there's anxieties around it. And I think the deadline cadence of projects now just seems to be getting quicker and quicker. Like, they're more regular. So it's an environment that if you're not in control feeling fairly comfortable in what you can deliver, like know what's expected of you, know what you bring to the party, what your strengths are, then I think it can be quite stressful as an environment. And I think from a career perspective that we do, our confidence takes a knock and you don't quite know what your strengths are. You get a bit of harsh feedback that maybe isn't delivered in the right way. Just to be clear, I'm talking a lot of stuff that we're trying to do BBN is still in a theoretical stage and we're still trying to implement it so there could be plenty of people who aren't quite getting the scenarios i'm talking about but we're just starting to work on that now where we're creating a pilot where we have regular catch-ups with everybody to talk about their careers for every three weeks and we have a platform that kind of gives us some structure and people can take notes and they can do it so that people become more comfortable and the reason for the cadence of every three weeks sally is very much about let's understand where people are as human beings where are they in their life phase is there stresses in their life even outside of work that we can't control but we bring that to work life's gritty so 
as well as trying to juggle your career and progress that, there's other things going on in life that can be stressful. So as human beings, we need to create an environment where we understand that and we can support people around it. So there's the stuff that's related to your skills and your progress, progression and what you're doing, but there's also just the environment of work. And I think having flexibility and we have a mental well-being working group, we have a diversity inclusion working group because we wanted to put energy into how we create a more supportive environment for people. How do we understand the challenges? How do we create space so we are observant and we can put initiatives and events and learning out there that will help and benefit people to be more well beings in essence. And from a duty care perspective, I think it just makes sense to create an environment where people are happier, healthier, balanced. And I'm not saying the cadence of deadlines means there will always be a degree of stress, but if we can create some resilience in our people and balance and help and give them the tools, then I think it'll help them have a more long term. And maybe that, maybe women have left it because they look at it and we haven't done that well up to this point. And they go, it's not sustainable. And I don't want to work like this. And it doesn't make sense to me because they pop up in other places and they become project managers and they come out and they turn up in different places where other facets of our industry did it better so they were drawn there so if we're going to compete with that and keep good people talented people irrespective of gender we have to be leading employers not just in our industry but in sydney or in brisbane or wherever you are like the thing is we will only deliver high caliber beautifully refined and detailed buildings with talented people from front end to back end and the only way we're going to do that is A, attract that talent into our industry and retain them is looking after them. And I think pay is an aspect of that, but so is career support, mental well-being. And we look at all aspects of that. So we look at how do we help people be more active and encourage people to go for lunch, time runs and walks and get out of it and actually create an environment where it's not a rigid, you're in the office and you must be working. It is, um, so the mantra that I use is, I want to create an environment that enables everybody to do their best work. Now, be it in the studio, out of the studio, or in whatever way, that's our job. So that's what I've got to do to do it. So then I think mental well-being and their physical well-being is tied to that. So we try and connect people. The other side of it is in a hybrid environment and when we've had lockdown, Sally, is how do we help people to feel connected to the organizations they're in? It might be I can only assume it's a little easier in small practice because you can come together much easier. But in bigger practice, how do you feel like teams are connected when some people are remote and some people are in studio? How do you feel like they belong to something? And I think that's a fundamental aspect of feeling like you can be yourself and you can be that diverse individual and you can bring all your talents. Is you feel you can be yourself, you can be who you are, you can dress like who you are, you can behave like who you are obviously if it's in a positive way, um, and you feel like I truly belong to this place and not just teams. Because the thing you look at is work can be lonely, even in a big team, if we haven't got the right environment. Excellent. Absolutely. And I think you've really touched on that topic in a very, you know, very sophisticated manner. And it's complex, like you described, because just by, you know, touch, linking culture and mental well-being, the environment that you touched on is critical. And I think to recap some of the topics you mentioned, they're all so familiar with, you know, deadlines looming, having, you know, 
resources either, you know, not enough, you know, be, not being able to handle on-site issues because of pressures that are, you know, unreasonable, unhealthy. All of that has a contributing factor into just the differences in our role and whether someone would be willing to take up on the job or not. And I think, you know, let's hope that it doesn't add to the topic today on, you know, what's causing a, a gap between our gender pay. And I think it's so important to acknowledge that because, all of the contributing factors are barriers that we want to make sure we minimise and remove so that it's like what you described, hopefully pay is a given by that time and that we all both, you know, everyone grows together as a profession so that it's not something that we focus on and we move on from, you know, not having separate work life, you know, environments that we have to clearly demark so that we can actually survive a day-to-day -day, um, lifestyle. So I think it's so good to hear you talk about it in detail. If we were to wrap up the conversation, and I think we've meandered through quite a few key topics to link back to our main focus today, which was a gender pay gap. How do you see our profession moving from now on? You've touched on quite a few optimistic programs and policies that you're implementing as a holistic profession. We're really hoping that every everyone contributes to this. I think our starting point is to have conversation that we are actively talking about it and we're reporting on our progress, even though it's slow, but we are moving in the right direction. Definitely, we have to acknowledge more can be done. But from a personal point of view, from your role, do you see it you know, progressing in a different way or, you know, is there any particular projects that you're working on that you see will be the next step forward? And I think it's just sharing it with the leaders out there and seeing if everyone had further ideas as well. Yeah, so I think a really positive aspect of Champions of Change is where a whole array of practices in the industry came together. Rather than being rivals like we all are fighting for work and trying to do it, we came together to solve issues within our practices and within the industry. And I think this idea of creating this competency and skills matrix, and what's been really good, and the reason I'm raising it is, we share it then with Parler and ACA so that it's accessible to the broader industry, irrespective of your scale. I think that's a hugely important thing. I think there's an altruistic responsibility to be EVN feels for our scale that we have the scale and people where we can do things and it's important that we would like to help others be better and if we could participate and learn from others because we can always learn from different scales of practices as well. So I honestly believe that if we can get this competency and skills matrix to be ubiquitous in our industry, it will change dramatically the landscape. It will be so impactful in a positive way if done well. It suddenly empowers leaders to give feedback. It empowers people to be able to articulate and discuss their careers. And I think the other aspect of that then is looking at it and going, regular career feedback, uh, career feedback is essential for everybody because we're all learning as we go. More regular and timely advice allows us to take on that feedback and grow and take the steps. And I think the thing with that is just set them up and invest time in your people. The benefits will be massive to everybody. If I'm a practice of three or four, take time out for coffee, understand where they're at in life, what they're doing, what their dreams and aspirations are, and mentor them and guide them. And yes, I know you all invest and we invest in projects. People learn on projects, on the tools day to day, but they need time to 
step out and see the bigger picture and understand where they're going. So invest in people. They will repay you tenfold in terms of where they're at. And everybody deserves to fulfill their potential. So I think we all have to play a role in helping them do that. And I come back to the point, not everybody needs to climb to the top of the mountain. That's not what everybody wants to do. And don't be afraid of trying different things. Like the, the career is not linear anymore. It's a bit like there's tangible steps sideways. Check something out, go into it. If you're curious about it, have a go. And who cares? If it doesn't work out and it's not for you, then you can all step back in. But you suddenly step back into where you were with an, a stronger belief in that's more what I want to do. So yeah, don't, don't stress about what other people are going at the pace at which they're moving. We're all unique and we have our own trajectories and we have our own skills, but start to get comfortable in what your skills are and be confident in it and say, this is what I bring. And if I look at it, the reason I'm where I am now is because I said I recognized where my strengths were and I started to follow that. I was never going to be a great designer. It's just not who I am. I could conserve design and I could lead projects from that aspect of it, but I just wasn't. And rather than feel bad about it like I was for a while and go, oh my God, I can't do this. It's go, okay, well, what else do I do? I bring something else. Here are my strengths. How can I be impactful in the industry in doing that? And that's taken me in the path I'm on now. And, and I think I've helped by recognizing and having people articulate with me where my skills and my gaps are and the opportunities and me being able to say here's where I want to go so how do I get there so yeah the one thing I'm very passionate and positive about is this skills competencies capabilities matrix call it what you will but I've no doubt it is a tough thing to do so we're all kind of working on it but the more we share and we share the anecdotes about how we applied and the more we work with our people to see how it best works for them I think Sally it could be exciting where we go in the next couple of years. Thanks, Brian. I think that definitely is a great closing point because I think we're very optimistic about the future. And I think with all of this, I think there's a lot of food for thought for anyone listening today. Great. Thank you. This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to our guest in this episode, Brian Cloacy from BVN Architects. Thank you so much for everything you're doing at BVN and for providing a great example of what architecture practices can be doing to help bridge gender gaps in the profession. Our sponsor, Brickworks, also produce architecture podcasts hosted by modernist fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy, and the Imagine production team was Sally Sue. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result.
The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.